perfect. I hear you great. Okay, now I kind of freaked out a while ago because I've got I've got like three Estebans, Carlos, and, and name I cannot say Inikri, Inikri. I can't say it. <laughs> I got Hispana Dad and the other dude that's similar to you. And when you sent the shirts, I thanked him for them. That's hilarious. Oh, I, my goodness, John. Got y'all up in my phone, so I apologize for that. It's all but good. Glad to have you on. Um, the uh, other night, my, me and my wife was watching. She was watching TV, and she, she was, you know, channel surfing, and she came across something about the Pope's. Mm. And, you know, that ain't too good when it's on TV. And she said, I want to watch this. So she puts it on, and sure enough, it it is just a horrible documentary. I mean, it just, it was so one-sided. Mm. Was, <laughs> hey, Alex, hey, Alex, it was so one-sided. Alex is uh, about to have a baby. In about oh, a yeah. Good. Yeah, Congratulations, Alex. That's but, awesome. Uh, it was just it sh every camera shot of the Pope. The guy acted like the Pope was a, you know, <laughs> fierce like a dictator, right? Like a, a killer. And they made they made the entire Catholic religion to be nothing but a political machine, uh, nothing but a, uh, you, you know, nothing to do with Jesus or relationship with God. It was just it was a it was a propaganda piece, and I'm not sure if it was a History Channel. Mm -hmm. or who it was because i grew up hearing that stuff mm -hmm. uh, you know i met you last year mm -hmm. and talking about something called black legend yeah i had never heard that term in my life i thought you were going to want to talk about lebron james <laughs> or something with kobe bryant i didn't know <laughs> you know a lot about it, and i just want you to explain to us what the black legend is all about oh yeah for sure yeah absolutely i would like to <laughs> well um so a black legend is kind of a it's a distortionated way of viewing things um and so there could be black legends uh for all kinds of histories and i think you had mentioned it with me earlier before that uh the church definitely has its own black legend that um that just outsiders have they, they fill in the gaps and they distort the history of the church basically uh, with their own nonsense oftentimes or ex exaggerations in order because, you know, they, they don't know any better. They, that's, that's what they know. Or, um, so, <clears throat> but, uh, but the Spanish black legend in particular is a very studied, very, very well studied academic phenomena um, where not just Spanish speakers or Spanish people, but even people from England, people from the United States, uh, uh, other outside foreign Foreign people uh, have studied it too, and they've they've come to the conclusion that yeah, there's this strong phenomena toward the Spanish, the Spanish history, Hispanic history, uh, given um, the the status quo that they had um, since like you know the 1500s and the kind of the powerhouse that they were, and then just um, you know in the the failed abilities to defeat this empire from their rivaling nations, um, they decided to slander the, the Spanish Empire, and uh, when the Protestant Reformation happened. It, it amped up a lot. And so, um, and the, around that same time, the printing press became very popular among these uh, Protestant communities. And um, and kind of like what you see with this hit piece, they had hit pieces back then 
that were even more ridiculous. I mean, cartoonish, you know, you had the Pope looking like the devil or like you had uh, Catholic uh, kings and, and dukes looking like animals and beasts and eating children. And it was the weird, it was crazy. It looks crazy when you see it now, you know, you're just like, whoa, whoa this is like, looks like some Halloween stuff. But, um, but yeah, that's basically where this, um, I would say this English speaking world of ours that is now globalized, it has a lot of, it still carries a lot of these distortions as history. And so that our teachers, teachers have taught, they've taught us these things. Um, and oftentimes they're just, they're completely false. They're like backwards false. They're so untrue. They're easy to debunk. Um, and uh, yeah, I think regards to this, the Spanish history is important to understand for us to debunk this kind of, these kind of distortions. It's important to understand the Spanish black legend, that it's real and that there are certain aspects that need to be uh, addressed because when you do so, you're not just defending Spanish history. Like I'm not Spanish. I'm not a nationalist. Uh, in any sense of the word, I don't really carry a strong affinity toward any country like that. But um, but overall, the Catholic faith and the West in general, even for secularized people, they could benefit from de from debunking the Spanish Black legend because the Spanish the Spanish Hispanic history founded the West. It pushed out for it defeated the um, the Moors. It stopped the expansion of Islam. Um, it also went into the Americas and evangelized and it created cities and uh, and it had many different, it had a renaissance basically that went all the way to the Philippines, all the way to China where they created commerces and proto-industries. So I think all this laid the foundation for what the West has now. And uh, it's just, and basically what we have now is, as you kind of mentioned too, is that, uh, it, you know, pro Protestants and enlightened thinkers, um, they get into this habit of uh, retaining, as we say in Spanish, uh, retienen el pan y el agua. Uh, de las, histori histori uh, las figuras históricas uh, hispanohablantes. So basically, like, they just retain the, the bread and the water of uh, historical Spanish-speaking figures uh, because um, they like to take all, all the credit, right? Or they like to appropriate certain things, you know? And they, they say, oh, this is all us, right? Meanwhile, you've had Catholics and Hispanic Catholics in, in particular who have, who have played a huge part in the West in, uh, as, as being a motor uh, in, in, in different pioneering expeditions and explorations. Uh, it, the list goes on and on and on and on. And so anyways, that's, and it's not just, a, it's not just, uh, and that's another thing too. Anyways, I can get into that more later, but I was going to talk about the Hispanic and Catholic uh, influences had on, on um, the mestizaje, right? The blending of races and how that's important too. <clears throat> because now it's kind of seeing like this idea of this diversity push that we're seeing now. It's being pushed as if it's such a new, new thing. It's never happened before, right? When in reality, for 500 years, the Spanish speakers and Spanish Catholics and even the Portuguese Catholics have been mixing with other races in the Americas and wherever they, the lands they discovered, uh, even through the Catholic Church, through marriage, which is no joke, right? That's that's a that's a holy matrimony, you know? Um, so res respecting not just the the dignity of your wife or the dignity of your spouse, but the dignity of your children as well. And the rec them being recognized um, as your descent, you know, as your lineage. So um, anyways, that's basically the Spanish black legend are historical distortions uh, taught as history because of propaganda. That's basically what the Spanish black legend is. Yes. Uh, uh, when you were telling me last time you were on last year, it was just fascinating because I think the way we got there was talking about the Spanish Inquisition. Mm -hmm. I had seen a documentary on the BBC. It's on YouTube. It's about an hour and a half long. Mm -hmm. And it's about how that has is like 99% myth. Yeah. Compared to the way we were taught in school. 
<laughs> yeah. We're about 300 million people were executed by uh, the Catholic Church for refusing Christ. Crazy. And, and that they went to um, uh, South America and they were portrayed to conquest, you know, these, you know, Spanish armor and, and slaying poor Indians boards and stuff <laughs> they become a Christian or they would, you know, whack, whack them. You know, the mm -hmm. way history and I, I, I listen to a lot of a lot of history shows, podcasts, I do some reading because, you know, one thing I, I do substitute teaching mm -hmm. and, and it's like a big brush up, man, because there's so much stuff I forgot as a kid. Yeah. I did eighth grade today and just looking at their stuff. It's a lot of stuff I haven't heard since I was their age, but you get yeah. how uh, the new world was founded. You know, you had competing countries, mm -hmm. had Spain, superpower, mm -hmm. you had mm -hmm. uh, England, you know, Great Britain, UK, whatever you want to call it. You had England, France, and Spain. There's three real big superpowers. Super mm -hmm. And you have this brand new continent, really two continents. They, you know, they, they just kept mm -hmm. fighting for it. So mm -hmm. in, in the Eastern part of the country, you know, the British got there mostly established British colonies mm -hmm. and they were basically Protestants mm -hmm. and a lot of Puritans, you know, which mm -hmm. was that rose up within the church of England to purify mm -hmm from all signs of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. You end up with the colonies, you know, declaring independence. And you, got, you got a bunch of white guys, okay? Mm -hmm. when, you know, the Constitution, when it says, we the people, the Declaration of Independence, we the people, mm -hmm. like scholars say, it should have said, we the white people. Because you know? <laughs> they weren't about everybody. They were, you know, they were talking about their class of people. Mm -hmm. You end up having brand new United States, you know, where the colonies are. They're all British, Anglo, Protestant. Mm -hmm. And who is yeah. their not rival? Their rivals are France and Spain. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, the, Spain was out west and down south, you know, Texas and California, like you taught me last time, mm -hmm. you know, Latin America. Mm -hmm. And, then, you know, what are Spanish people? They're Catholic. Yeah, they have to. Yeah, absolutely Catholic. The um, yeah. So there's a lot. There's a lot to go off of there. And I think the first thing you mentioned was the Spanish Inquisition. I think uh, people deserve to know what that was. What was that? What was that really like? You know. Um, yeah, I think the context of of Europe in general uh, was that of many invasions and many, um, and not just religious wars, but it, it sprouted into religious wars as well. Um, but you know. <clears throat> The Spanish Inquisition is definitely not the only Inquisition, and it's not the first Inquisition, and it's not the most bloodiest Inquisition, and it wasn't the most torturous Inquisition, and that's where we that's where we go wrong when we start to when you see even historians start to kind of uh, label the Inquisition in these kind of exceptional terms, right? As if it was the only one. Um, no, in fact, you start to get more into the legalities of it all. And the church, the church of Sp the church in Spain, the Catholic Church in Spain, has released many many documents of the Inquisition, and they realize, and because the church is very confident that a lot of these accusations do not hold, you know, you have like the records in um, 
different areas that they're, they're showing, you know, how, how little in 300 years period, how, how very little people die versus what outsiders have been saying this whole time. And now the total number, they finally estimated the numbers of the Inquisition within 300 years of its established being established in the Spanish empire. Uh, it, it killed about three, well, I would say issued uh, deaths of about 3000 to 5,000 people, which is, you know, obviously it's a lot. You would rather nobody die right through an inquisition. But uh, if you think of the time, it, it's, it's very, that's a very small number in 300 years for 5,000 people to die when you have, you know, COVID killing, you know, thousands of people in a day, or you have like wars that kill uh, many, many more people in little time. And for example, like the France, the revolution of France, right? This to, uh, to get rid of the monarchy. You know, you don't hear people uh, harking down and, and you don't hear the same jargon and the same hate and the same intolerance toward the French Revolution. They, in fact, people celebrate it as something that's a necessary necessity. Um, when in reality, you know, a lot of innocent people were caught up in that in that in that chaos, uh, and it, it resulted in the forty in forty thousand deaths in ten months. You know, but you don't hear about those numbers, right? Uh, in the same with the same attitude. Also, the Protestant uh, inquisitions that did exist all over throughout Europe killed way more people. They were way more sensationalist, and I think that's kind of practical for us Catholics. We see how sensationalist Protestants are online, or just in meeting them, and just how just. Just how like, you know, um, I just think, you know, with anyone that wants to tell the truth and come down to uh, some kind of logic with someone, you need to have a certain base point. Right. But when the Bible's their only source, their only point of their only point of reference, and then yet they can't come to terms that the Bible's Catholic, it, it's an automatically they're, they're, they're diving into a losing battle. So a lot of these sensationalists of the Protestant, I'm sorry, they're clueless, clueless, they're absolutely clueless. And so a lot of these Protestant, these Protestants in that time period were very clueless and you had a lot of the uh a lot of the local princesses and local authorities become the new popes so and i like that post that you had put one time you said uh people thought the protestant reformation would get rid martin luther thought he would get rid of the papacy in reality it just made many papacies and that's exactly what happened and so these local princesses that ended up or the local the local preachers ended up becoming these new popes and they not only not only did they become the new popes but they ended up starting uh, large fighting, large religious wars in the areas because the majority of the people wanted to remain Catholic. You know, I think that's something that's not quite talked about. And that's why there was the 30 year war in Germany, you know, where uh, Catholic, the Catholic part of Germany was fighting against the Protestant part of Germany. And it was a very, very bloody, bloody war caused because of the Protestant Reformation. Um, and so, <clears throat> so yeah, uh, in Protestant Germany, it said that 25,000 witches were burned. Uh, so 25,000 in that same time period, right? That's five times as much as the Spanish Inquisition. Yet we don't hark on Germans at all about that. They don't, we don't even know that history. How, right. just how, you know, um, no, in, in fact, the, people don't talk about the Spanish Inquisition in the Americas, right? And I think in Hispanic America, it's suffering from exported ideas from English speaking areas specifically, but they also, some of the, some of these countries think that the Spain was the worst thing that could have ever happened to them. Um, it, they've gotten their history completely twisted. Uh, and in reality, you start to go talk about the Spanish Inquisition in the Americas. Um, you see that indigenous people were prohibited from the Spanish Inquisition because the Spanish realized immediately they had killed about four people, about four like chiefs who had challenged their faith. Um, and they had to issue them deaths uh, in the very, very, very beginning. And you had other people stand up because for them, they said, these, these chiefs, they may be blaspheming. They don't know what they're saying, though. It's not the same as when a Protestant saying something or as a Jewish person saying something or a Muslim person is saying something. They have no concept of what we're talking about here. So they so after that happened, 
they established the this Spanish Inquisition in the Americas said we we can't we can't judge indigenous people in the we have to prohibit this and so it stayed that way so indigenous people had that benefit they had that I would say that privilege uh, not to be judged by the Spanish Inquisition uh, and so because you know they weren't fully formed in the faith um, and this also led to many other incre incredible things too um, this kind of this attitude right this kind of attitude of of teaching the faith to the indigenous people because it, it humanized them. And you see legislation being uh, established by the crown and by the council of the Indies, uh, establishing rights around not enslaving them indiscriminately, right? Not going out and doing, that was like completely prohibited. Um, and that's something that's never talked about. These All these laws, there's hundreds and hundreds of laws in this time period talking about how they, um, that indigenous people, you can't just take their things. You can't coerce them. You can't kidnap them into boats. You know, all these different things, they, it, it gets completely missed. And it's never talked about, even in history books. And especially English-speaking historians, they, they really don't have the ability to access any of this information because a lot of it's never been translated. And if it's ever been stumbled across, nobody, nobody, wants, they, nobody wants to highlight these parts. They like to, people, people play, you know, every, a lot of people have agendas. And so, unfortunately, a lot of the history that we have is, is peppered with it. Um, and so that's why I do what I do. I work. That's why I work on our work because I'm bringing a lot of this stuff into the English-speaking world. I'm just bringing it to light because it's not just a Spanish uh, initiative. It's a very Catholic initiative as well. Yes, uh, tell her. Tell I got Hey Hope and Kathleen Jr. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about your YouTube and about Hispanic Dad? Oh me? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, as I said before. Um, it started with my, because I'm from California, uh, and I saw a lot of the disgusting ways people, both activists and even historians were defaming, and the, and the press was, were defaming Junipero Serra, Saint Junipero Serra, right? And I know, being, you know, and I, I'm a convert to Catholicism, so I, you know, I, you know, as a convert, we go through RCIA, we get taught a lot of things, but a lot of things are kind of open, our, our minds are blown, right? And that was one of those things that I knew that the church didn't take very lightly was was canonizing saints in this day and age. That they they do a lot of work to canonize saints. There's a lot of investigation that goes around a saint a person. So that way to avoid scandal, to avoid issues, right? They do a lot of work, and for them to to take this leap and 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 defend Junipero Serra and canonize him, I I knew I knew that that this was definitely the right decision. And when I studied it myself, I realized like, wow, these people are lying about Junipero Serra. They're openly lying about him or they're exaggerating uh, the California mission system. And so I said, and as I started to dig deeper, I started to realize that the English speaking world didn't have the resources to defend, uh, defend him. And there were a lot of good Catholics who did a really good job with the little that they had, but there's still so much more that can be used. Awesome. And then, um, <clears throat> so anyways, that's when I got into uh, to translating and I started getting into, I met other people and I started meeting uh, different, both historians, archaeologists, authors, influencers in the Spanish-speaking world who helped me uh, see that this wasn't just for him, that this is happening to so many Hispanic Catholics in history. And it's like, it's a common phenomenon. And that's when I stumbled across the Spanish Black legend. It's just so, it's so fascinating to me because I'm a, I'm a victim of it, you know? Me too. Going to, going to school here in Alabama. Uh, they didn't have any good thing. Everything was made the, uh, you know, the, you know, everybody talks about Martin Luther being the father of the Reformation. Mm -hmm. But I, 
from my point of view, King Henry VIII is the one that ramped that thing up. Mm-hmm. He, oh, he's part. He's part of Rome. He's part of the church. He's Catholic. They call him the lion of the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Always, they're always fighting with France and just never ending war. And I know he's trying to have a, a male heir to the throne, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's marriage, and he can't get out of it. He can't mm-hmm. get an element from the Pope, and you can make it political, theological, sacramental, whatever. The mm-hmm. fact is uh, that King Henry VIII departed from Rome, took the mm-hmm. whole freaking nation. Because mm-hmm. you know, it's like an island, yeah. Yeah, England, Wales, a part of Ireland, mm-hmm. Scotland, you know, and actually they, they had laws against being Catholic. They had a laws against being Catholic all the way until, for, until the 20th century. They even politically, you couldn't be Catholic in certain political positions in England. Um, yeah, so it's it's very strong. Yeah, that sentiment. Well, like the royal family, since you know King Charles now is the head, he's the head of the of the Church of England. He's the Pope of it. Right. <laughs> so he's the he's the Pope of the Church of England. Then the then the people, the Puritans within the Church. They were mm-hmm. they wanted no trace of Catholic Church. You know, yeah. you go to an Anglican church, and mm-hmm. if you don't better, you think you're in a Catholic church. Yeah, yeah, it, it's you're right. They didn't like that. So the Puritans, you know, they're all over the colony, yeah. and I, they're getting rid of anything Catholic. That's the, another good point to bring up, too, that not just in the Catholic world, right, um, uh, but in the Protestant world as well, that there were that people believe that it was the point of religious liberty, right? Like this was a necessary point for religious liberty. Um, but then you start to realize, you say, you go into Protestant Germany and you see how intolerant Protestant Germany, the Lutherans were with the Calvinists and the Calvinists with the Lutherans and the, and the you know, the Ang- uh, Anglican church with uh, the Puritans. And, you know, so there was just, it was, no, it was, it was not this really point of religious liberty. What it was, you know, people were becoming their own, um, intolerant sex, but yeah, it was the time you know that literally was the time of uh, these religious wars. Um, yeah, so that's sometimes we got to contextualize it, you know. And and I, I, it's interesting, man. When I start to, so I think I came when I came over here to this, to over here, I, I drew, I drew up a couple things. So I'm glad we talked about the Spanish Inquisition, right? I drew up, uh, I think some things about the, regarding the Spanish black legend specifically, and I would say the Americas. I have a few different points that I'd like to talk about, but. I just kind of wanted to kind of get your blessing before I went too deep into it all, you know? Yo, you're the expert here. I, I, and I also want to meet with your son, too. I also had plans on doing a, a series with your son. Like, I really do want to do it. I just don't know, you know, whatever reason he needs to take off. I get it. But but he I went, wanted. He went on a, uh, he's been on this long fast. Mm. And he won't, he'll do daily readings. Mm-hmm. And he does his prayers, uh, divine office, mm-hmm. TV. No, I mean, he's just like eating meat, drinking water. Mm. He's praying. He don't, you know, no texts, no memes, no YouTube, nothing. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. I mean, he might as well be in the middle of a freaking. A COVID. <laughs> yeah, a right? convent. <laughs> Good He'll for him, man. February. Good for him. Good for him. No, I, I respect it. Whatever it is, you know, I, we all got to go through something like that. Um, 
Well, you know, we talked about, you know, who, who started the Spanish black legend, right? And then like kind of why, and then, and then I have a couple pointers here in the Americas. And these are, when I hear people talk, bring up some of these accusations, right? And I'm like, I immediately know like, God, like, like they got a lot to catch up on, right? Like, um, you know, am I at this point where the only people that I'm, I'm not really taking it so seriously anymore, you know, a lot of these, like these, I don't know, these people who are just, who are upset, right? Um, they, they, they pro definitely need to hear it. Right. But uh, I think they need to take their time and, and really study these matters a little bit more in depth before they, before they start accusing things that they don't know much about. Anyways. So, uh, one of these things here that I, that I wanted to talk about, these, these about maybe five things here as genocide, right? Did the Spanish Catholics commit genocide in the, in the Americas or in the discovered lands, right? Enslavement, you know, were they, uh, indiscriminately enslaving people? And I kind of touched on that, that, you know, there are these laws that uh, prohibited it. Um, diseases, the diseases that they brought, was that to blame for all the deaths of all the, you know, 300, 1,700 million, billion, trillion uh, indigenous people that were here in the Americas. Um, forced Catholicism is another one we talked about. Uh, and that's another point. Um, and I think that's important to talk. And I think we did talk about a lot of that with the Spanish Inquisition, you know, and also there's another thing called the Spanish requirement. That is another interest, very interesting um, topic um and i think that needs to kind of be discussed in this appropriate uh, context and then stolen gold uh, i think that's another one that um that might be the reason why hispanic america so you know they're 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 underdeveloped at this point uh, it's because of all the gold that you know spain stole you know or the, the spanish catholics they stole all this gold that's why it's those guys it's them over there in that little peninsula it's their fault um that's what that's the accusations we're hearing and then uh the caste system so caste systems you know like um people being unable to move out of these different castes that they may belong to, you know, uh, whether it's like, you know, like a, a, like a peasant, right. Or like an indigenous native American can never, never, you know, he couldn't, uh, strive to nothing. Right. That was, that's the accusations we hear. And the white, the white uh, guys from the peninsula, they had everything, right. That's, that's what we're told too. Um, but unfortunately that's, that's not, that's not the reality of this time period at all. Um, and so anyways, those are some of the points that I would like to kind of go through, you know, um, you know, and maybe I can't get into as deep as I would like to in every single thing, but I think I'm a pretty quick talker and I think I can get to some of the points simply. But uh, let's start with the genocide one. Right. And that's kind of one of the that's how the other video I showed you before was like um, the, did the Spanish Catholics, Hispanic Catholics, did they commit genocide in the Americas in the discovered lands too? you know, maybe the Philippines. Right. Um, and the answer is no. Uh, to constitute genocide, it would have to be uh, the deliberate uh, intent to uh, exterminate a group based on race or religion. Um, and the Spanish, the Spanish never warred because of race. There were plenty of wars, there were conquests. Um, but what you see in these conquests, you see many different chiefs and large groups of the Native Americans participating in the conquests to conquer other aggressive nations. And they were very aggressive, especially in Mesoamerica and like the Apaches as well in the north. Um, and so, yes, you have a lot of these uh, tribes collaborating, aligning with the Spanish uh, and realizing very quickly that the resources the Spanish uh, are establishing or like the settlements they're establishing are providing resources to, to uh, alimentar, to feed large groups of people. Uh, with with more consistency versus the nomadic way of living and for that many of these indigenous tribes that were living through at the time, um, this other than these empires. And 
and not to even and to get even more deeper with these empires there were there were there were there were i mean if we talk about uh uh how life was before the arrival of the, the spanish right um that sometimes we're told this false narrative that it was a paradise right everything was you know wakanda forever up in here before the spanish came you know and then they just messed it all up i mean they had flying cars they had like you know universities and you know they're doing all kinds of stuff right um and then the spanish came and they ruined it all up and they were a bunch of vikings that just came over here and they're barbarians they just they just took everything right and they just destroyed everything no in reality what you see is uh you see it was closer to a hell than it was to a, a paradise in mesoamerica and his in in the americas in general actually to be honest because where you have both um uh my violence uh you had um cannibalism um you had uh machismo like you know the man being in charge in in very heavy ways i mean i'm talking about you know prostituting out their wives and the children in south american like and and there's many different it, it was different all over the place not every tribe was the same but who ruled in the, who who had the most government government in these in the americas were these very very uh violent groups and so it was a very and not to mention um just even just dying from starvation right it just it was a hard place to live you know it was a hard even back even back in the time in europe it was a hard it was a hard time they didn't have we we look at history with such a strong presentism that it's hard for us to fathom how any of this could happen invasions um conquests all this stuff you know but in reality what we have now is because of everything that happened so you know to stick our nose up to it is 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 definitely it's not realistic and so anyways um basically yes there to i think to go on to anyways to go on to consider with the genocide issues that uh they had no wars uh regard in the name of race like that uh the spanish quickly not just uh you know married with women but they also um quickly started to recognize these chiefs and these as as houses just like they had uh, noble houses in europe they had they recognized these these chiefs that helped them in these conquests and their houses and their nations were recognized with privileges and benefits from the crown itself and that was happening immediately and for some examples like you have the tlaxcalans that helped defeat the mexica empire the aztecs they helped them defeat the aztecs and they became extremely extremely powerful groups of native americans of the spanish out there were allies um and then you had also uh, the otomis that helped in the chichimeca conquest another type another conquest in the north of that of that area um they, the otomis uh, became they also got recognized as well with their own war heroes too uh you have in the south america you have uh pizarro allying with the with the the incans um and then he had the the defeated they conquered the other incas when they upon their arrival there was already political uh the fighting already happening um and were these and were these conqu- conquerors were they like were they saints not at all but they they were ambitious they were ambitious um but they were not these uh genocidal bloodthirsty animals that people are painting them out to be because you start to realize quickly like that Hernan Cortes is a good example that he he immediately one of the first things he did was uh establish the first hospital in the Americas the first hospital ever in this in the Americas and he's and for indigenous people who was the larger who was the large majority of the population that was the population he had only a few hundred spanish people come during the conquest um and so you know that the the first hospital and that's where his remains are right now also um the first universities as well the first cities these these cities that they were established uh like Hernan Cortes was actually down there picking up materials working working there you know that that part's not talked about 
the way we're painted, the way it's illustrated to us is seen completely different. We're seeing that as if everyone was just like, just like being oppressed, constantly oppressed, oppressed, oppressed. But what you have is it's not, it's not because of these, of a race, it's not, it doesn't have the same racial component that we're used to hearing in the modern century. What it has is more of a, a feudalistic component, right? Where people have obviously different social classes. And it's something that actually the Spanish adopted that was already in existence in many of these different areas. For example, there's um, this type of work called La Mita in Peru. And La Mita, it's, it's, an, it's a Quechua word. It's a word from the Incans. La Mita. And so that's, that's the kind of and that, that, that's the kind of social institutions that were merely adopted by the Spanish. They were not set up by the Spanish like that. So anyways, going on to genocide, we see uh, that the populations in Hispanic America, the native populations are extremely large. Um, in Mexico, we have about 90% mestizo, meaning mixed European and indigenous people like myself. And you have Native American people. And it, it constitutes about 90% of the population entirely, you know. Um, and then you have, like, in Peru, you have 85%. Uh, in other parts, it's like 90, 85. It fluctuates between that same number. It's very, very, that's a lot. And as we go up to the, the places that were led by Masons and Protestants um, who were more in charge, I wouldn't even say they were the la largest population, but they were the ones calling the shots. You see, like, the United States, you see that we have, like, closer to 1% Native American people who, are still exist who still exist in the country, in this whole big country. You know, and everything is kind of divided by race, right? We're all kind of thinking in racial terms all the time. Um, and then you have also um, in Canada, you have about 4%, right? You know, and so in Australia too, I mean, a lot of those, a lot of those indigenous groups too, they suffered, they suffered a lot too. So there it's, it's a very similar, I don't know. They just didn't have plans to incorporate the local population like these, his, like these, these uh, Hispanic Catholics had, and they had it legislatively. Um, so as we get into the genocide talk too, I think the first the first uh, pe person to talk about genocide was Bartolome de las Casas. Have you heard of him before? Yes, for me. So yeah. Okay. So Bar Bartolome de las Casas is a it's kind of a controversial figure because Bartolome de las Casas was this Dominican, and uh, he was in the Americas. He gave up his encomienda, and encomienda is kind of like a plantation, um, but he gave it up, you know, and he started to dedicate himself to writing. And he wrote about these injustices that the Spanish were, were committing, and he was reporting it. And it, um, he played a part in some of these councils that happened in Spain where they had to debate on the dignity of the Native Americans, right? And whether these in, this encomienda system was, was, gonna, was okay or not. And I think that speaks to a lot of things right there, just right off the back, not just about Bartolome de las Casas, but, the, but I think about at the time and the thought process of these Spanish nobles and royalties um, and, these, and these priests that they actually stopped everything, all the, all the conquests, and they stopped everything with Car King Charles V of Germany, also the first of Spain, uh, stopped the conquest and decided to have councils on the dignity of the Native Americans of what they were doing is right. And never has, had any classical empire done anything like this before. And it's largely because of the Catholic faith. It's because they were Catholic, because there was a certain dynamic here that's kind of challenging their, their, their power. It's that power you know, that power thing with that the church plays one role, the civil, you know, structure plays another and, you know, they have to balance each other out. And this, this is exactly what was happening in, this is 16th century Spain, by the way, this is the 1500s, right? This is really early on. Um, and they're having these debates, but Bartolome de las Casas was a problematic. And I say problematic, you know, even though people like to say that he was well-intentioned, 
but because he was a, he was a liar. He was he, and he didn't really have a problem uh, making up numbers uh, about j- figures, right? And and honestly, like who's out here really counting like millions of people, right? But he starts to n- name off uh, in the very beginning of his brevissima, the, the work that he presents all this. It's like a book, and it talks about all the ju- unjust things that the Spanish, his folks, his friends, his supposedly his friends are doing, right? But I'll get into that a little bit more. But he says that the, what they were doing, he says, uh, he starts to talk about like these torture methods. And he talks about how there was 12 million people who died in the Americas by now. It's 12 million. In the very beginning of the book, 12 million people died. And then in the middle of the book, he says, there's 14 million people have died. And then at the end of the book, he, at, by the end, he said that there was 12, 24 million people have died. And he, he, just, his, he, was, he did not care about the numbers. You know, obviously, his point was to exaggerate as much as he could so he could you know, get his point across. He doesn't mention who does any of these crimes. He doesn't mention where any of these crimes happen. He talks about certain uh, geographical sites that are completely, completely misconstrued. Like he talks about how this one river is like the most biggest river he's ever seen, and ends up becoming it's end up it's like a stream um, in, in 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 one of the islands, like the Caribbean islands. Um, and and so as we get deeper into him lying, I think that's problematic because what happens is Protestant Europe starts to pick up on this book and they translate it about maybe like a couple decades later, not like immediately, like decades, like maybe 40 or 30 years later. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but then they, they translate it and then they make pictures with it. They have by uh, Theodore de Bride ends up drawing all these like, you know, pictures of these European looking indigenous people who they don't, they, you could tell they've never seen a native person in their life, you know, but they look blonde and, and like blonde Greek, you know, Greek gods. And they're over there just getting chopped up by these evil Spanish people, their hands chopped up, their dogs are eating them and stuff. They're doing all kinds of burning them all upside down. And you see all these pictures, right? It's, and, uh, you know, it's just, that's exactly the kind of propaganda that they were used to. And they toured these pictures throughout Europe and Protestant Europe. They tore them, tore them like, uh, and so, that's when it starts to become even more problematic, right? Because, you know, they come with this thing. They're like, oh, well, you know, even even they're saying all this stuff, right? But uh, so anyways, uh, Bartolome de las Casas, they're immediately, and I stumbled across this really interesting, and I see one of your people in the comments said, said 100% F.L. Colón. Uh, Marcelo Guyo's books are a great read. Absolutely. Marcelo Guyo's books are a great read. And this is where I'm at. My next point is about to get to this right now. In Marcelo's books, in Marcelo Guyo's book, Nada por lo que pedir perdón means nothing to say to ask forgiveness for. You don't have to ask forgiveness for nothing. That's literally the name of the book. <laughs> he says, he says, he mentions, he brings up this, this other letter that he brings up another historical figure. And he says, there is this other guy who has kind of people been quiet about. Some people know about him, but he's a very important person. His name's Frey, so Friar. Toribio Benavente. And why is this friar important? He's a Franciscan. Now he's a little different because um, the other one's Dominican, right? Botelome de las Casas is Dominican. The Franciscans, they have a very strong poverty, a very devout poverty. And there, he was one of one, some of the first uh, monks to come after the conquest. And they called him the 12 apostles, these 12 Franciscan missionaries that came. And he was even talked about in the book of Bernal Diaz of Castillo's journal of the conquest. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, Bernal Diaz, he's, uh, I would read that journal too if it has an English version. But he was a conqueror under Hernan Cortes. And he writes about all the stuff he saw and all the wild things. And it's an amazing book. It's incredible. It really it humanizes everybody in that, in that story, in, that, in, the, in the book. But um, anyways, he talks about how he showed up, right? Frey, Frey, Tor- Frey Toribio Benavente. And he had a nickname. 
and I, I forgot his nickname. It starts with an M. It's like Mol Molotinia, um, but it's and it derives from some indigenous name, which means poor. And so basically, this gentleman is living with the Native Americans, and he is he is uh, struggling with them. He's poor with them. Um, he learns their languages, and he immediately he writes. Uh, well, immediately he meets Bartolome de las Casas. They, they know each other, um, they come across each other a lot, they have to work around each other. Um, and when he starts to, after the Brevisima comes out, this guy, this pray, this friar, who, who was very respected by the Native Americans, he was a real defender of the Native Americans because that's, Bartolome de las Casas gets that label, the, the defender, as if he was the only one. No, there was lots of Spanish, Hispanic, Catholics, religious orders of all kinds, defending and establishing so much in the Americas at that time period. Meanwhile, the Bartolome de las Casas was writing all the time. And this is where it gets crazy because he starts to talk about, he makes the letter to the king. He writes, La Carta al Emperador, the car, letter to the emperor, who he was talking to Carlos I of Spain. Um, the king, he says to the Carlos, he, says, I, he tells the king, he says, I can't, I don't understand how you folks have been able to put up with this guy so long. He, he is, and he starts to go into him. He says, I've known him for 15 years or so and so many years, like decades. And he, all he does is write. He just, he goes, he gets away from everybody else and he just writes all the time. He writes about things he doesn't know about. He writes about people he doesn't know about. He goes looking for injustices. He thinks he's better than everybody. He thinks he's more just than us all. He thinks he's more religious than us all. But guess what? He doesn't even do religious things. He doesn't do, he doesn't confess people. He rejected a guy from an old indigenous man who wanted to get baptized by him. He rejected him because he didn't feel like he knew enough. And he says, he's, he's, he's a mercenary. He calls him that. He calls him mercenary. And this is a letter to the king. And to lie to the king is a serious thing. And a man of this stature, a man that's this hardworking, who actually is living with the Native Americans, a defender of the Native Americans. He's, this other guy, Frey Torribio, actually did uh, accuse in Spanish uh, uh, injustices. And he had names. He, he, knew, he had places. You know, he, he had done the work. Meanwhile, you have this other guy who's like, like liars do, just generalizing, right? And so he's calling this guy out and he's saying, I don't like how this guy's talking because it, it, it could be bad. And, and that's exactly what happened, right? That, as history can tell you. Um, and so he, so he goes on and says, and then he calls out one of, another very important aspect. He says, he says uh, by the way, Bartolome de las Casas, he's never even learned an indigenous language. He's never even took the time to learn. He doesn't live with the people. So, you know, that's and that's something very common at that time. A lot of Spanish people, a lot of people coming from the peninsula were coming to the Americas and they were learning the languages, especially Jesuits. Right. And especially like uh, that was just the mentality of the time. Like even Hernan Cortes, the, 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 the conqueror, the conquistador, he even learned Nahuatl because that, that that's what his that's where his governorship was. Right. That's the, so many of the his allies spoke Nahuatl. The Tlaxcalan allies all spoke Nahuatl. And that's why Mexico's full of Nahuatl names. It's not because of the Aztecs, it's because of the Tlaxcalans that accompanied the Spanish and these different conquests throughout Mexico all the way up here, that they were there were these Tlaxcalans that spoke Nahuatl. <laughs> and and real quick too, now now we're talking about Nahuatl, right? But Nahuatl received a grammatical structure before English even did. English English didn't get a grammatical structure until until like at least oh, I can't even remember the the number right off my head. But they they but Nahuatl because of these these Spanish Catholics they create they wrote the first catechisms in Nahuatl with the with the Nebrica system, and so they were able to record the language orally and write it down in with Roman letters like we have right, um, and then also they had it before English and Germany. So English and German did not have grammar structures until the Nahuatl language did first. And so 
because of these these religious orders. So, anyways, um, anyways, going back to Bartolomé de las Casas, yeah, uh, yeah. So he has a lot of contradictions in his Brevissima, and it has done, and and people taken off with it, and and some people justify him. They say, oh, he's well intentioned, but no, it's not. It's like, yeah, it's not. It's not kind of. There's so many other pe well intentioned people at that time that are not talked about. Like there are actual people. There's other people that 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 uh, came before him, that preceded him, like uh, Francisco de Vitoria, Francisco de Suarez. Um, these are other defenders of uh, the human rights. And these are basically the buds of the human rights that us modern people have now come from this time period. You know, but, it, but that's never talked about, right? We don't, we don't know any about, nothing about these. We don't know, I mean, we, we probably have heard something, like a little brief mention, but we're not talking about the importance that this played in the West in establishing rights for, for, for others. And so, <clears throat> Anyways, that was that's the genocide part, right? That's that's like one part, right? So then you have like I have so many other ones, right? So, um, but yeah, I I'm sorry, I'm I'm taking up so much of the mic. I just want to apologize real quick, you know. What I would like to do <laughs> is break this up some in the segments, mm -hmm. mostly because you know I talked to my grandson had an had an uh, allergic reaction to peanut butter. I'm sorry. You got to go over there. So, okay. yeah, he's okay. They, um, he, he has some peanut butter. He's one year, almost one years old. And he had a reaction. His eyelids swelled up and his lips. And so right before I called you, mm -hmm. the paramedics were over there. And everything's fine, but they want us to come over there now. So I didn't think mm -hmm. he'd want just in the car. But this is really fascinating. It, mm -hmm. It's so things that I've never heard before and I, I, I just see how it ties in with with this this narrative I've heard all my life this anti-catholic narrative mm -hmm. and where it came from and how it just ties in with everything you're talking about mm -hmm. so tell, tell everybody where your YouTube address is and your and your Instagram oh yeah yeah so um so my 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 Instagram is uh they're the same. It's uh, what hispanidad dot translations. So H I S P A N I D A D dot translations. Uh, and so that that's Instagram. And then um same thing without the dot in on YouTube. Hispanidad translations. And uh, yeah, I have lots lots of videos. Yeah, just go check it out. It's got all the information and yeah. Good stuff. Um. I'm about I'm more than halfway through the YouTube you sent me about Pope Pius, you know, Hitler's friend, and he wasn't. So I love you, brother. I, you know, I wish I could talk longer, but my I get to check on my grandson. But of course. <clears throat> I, text, and I thank everybody for joining in, and and I'll I'll, I'll have him on again really really soon as soon as we can. Because I, I want to hear all of this. It's, it's so important. And this is really good to have you as a resource. Thank you. Yeah, God bless you and God bless your family, man. Keep up the hard work. Thank you. I'll see you guys uh, tomorrow night at 7. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.